here and at home, I know with all my heart that my mother will make us proud as our next president. Hillary Clinton. Here is a woman. What does she dream of? Sitting with me, I'd like to welcome Eleanor Smeal. People may remember her. She actually president of the Feminist Majority Foundation, publisher of Ms. Magazine, but is really known as one of the shakers and founders of the feminist movement for many, many decades. Uh, Eleanor Smeal, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Also, uh, Kathy, well, Catherine, uh, Spillar, who's the executive editor of Ms. Magazine and executive director of Feminist Majority, longtime activist also in the feminist movement in the United States. So, the big news, historic moment, the first woman candidate for president in the United States. The significance. Let's start with you, Eleanor. Significance for women is it opens a lot of doors. It's going to create jobs for women. It's going to uh, start a whole new vision of what women can do. And I believe it's going to be, Hillary will be a beacon for the women of the world to enter more and more leadership positions, which we need. So we're looking forward to it. Not only that, by the way, there are women running now in the, um, in the swing states to take over the Senate. And there, there's a possibility of, of six to eight new women in the Senate. And they're of the red to blue, meaning the, the, the uh, Republican seats that might be taken over by Democrats, half of those people are feminist women for the first time. So this is going to be, I hope, a wave election that we will increase in Congress and in the White House. Now, um, Kathleen Spillar, what do you say to uh, women uh, who say, well, I don't vote with my vagina, right? <laughs> and, and the fact that it's not good enough that you're a woman, it's a question of what you stand for. I mean, right across the pond, I just we were talking to a member of parliament, a black member of parliament in the UK who is here attending the convention, and they now have a woman Prime Minister Tory of conservative government. So break that down for us. Well, in terms of what we have here in the United States, though, um, Hillary Clinton is a feminist. And so, you know, she says that being a woman is just one of her, uh, part of her qualification. She has lived many of the issues that all women in this country face. Uh, discrimination in educational opportunities and job opportunities, lack of affordable childcare, lack of paid family medical leave. These are the kinds of issues that she has lived and fought. Um, and, and so she brings that experience, uh, which is something unique um, that she does bring um, to this race and will bring to the White House. And, and you see that in what's happening with the polling. Uh, she has a tremendous gender gap. Women are saying that she has been a fighter for 
the very issues and, and to solve the very problems that they have also faced, whether it's violence against women, whether it's pay discrimination, lack of child care. And, and, and African-American women and Latinas especially see it. Uh, the level of support that they are expressing for her is very high because uh, they face a double discrimination issue, in some cases a triple discrimination in, in terms of poverty uh, and income issues. So they can see that having her there will make a difference, and they're coming out very strong for her. And uh, Ellen Esmeal, I mean, one of the weaknesses in the Hillary campaign, younger women. We certainly here at Pacifico, we've been covering a lot of the controversies inside the hall as well as outside the hall. A lot of young women, there was a women speak out in a local church uh, yesterday, and a lot of young women were there. A lot of them Bernie supporters, and a lot of them, they haven't made that turn into the Hillary camp and, and there's some of the people who are making a lot of noise out on the street and the polls are certainly showing that difference as well. How do you explain that? I mean after years of defining feminism in a certain way and building up uh, the feminist movement of young women who describe themselves as feminists but who see themselves as a different kind of feminist than what Hillary represents, Eleanor Schmidt. Well, the important thing is we now have a the, the, the platform that Hillary is running on is now the most feminist, progressive platform in the history of the Democratic Party. Tell us about that. Why do well, you say that? Well, because the Bernie folks and the Clinton folks have been bargaining and they've come forth with a unified platform. So they should be really proud of their work. It's going to be a very progressive platform. It is a very progressive platform. They've adopted it. And I believe that um, they're going to be very comfortable with the issue stands that she takes. And, and the contrast between her and Trump is a light year. We cannot let a misogynistic, uh, racist a fellow, a man who has got misogynistic, racist, um, background and quotes a galore uh, but it's not just quotes his actions so it's one it's an anti-trump thing but two and let's put the positive on it let's not under we got to understand this platform and i believe hillary is totally committed to it she's anti the tpp she's an a trans-pacific um, partnership uh trade deal she is pro-raising the minimum wage to $15. She is pro-breaking up the financial interests that had, you know, kept that part of Bernie's platform. She is pro, uh, pro all of the labor issues that you can think of. That's why all the major labor unions. She's pro-raising the, the tip uh, pay for women workers in restaurants. Uh, right now they have a you know a double standard merging the minimum wage so there's one minimum wage and that minimum wage is the living wage I'm trying to think of all the issues yeah uh, but of course reproductive rights she's a fighter for women on reproductive rights wants to reverse the Medicaid you know the Helms the Hyde Act which you know a lot of cut off for Medicaid for poor women get rid of that she's for getting rid of the Helms amendment she is for you know, a new foreign policy that elevates uh, women in uh, all parts of out of poverty. I, I think they can be proud of the platform and stand wholeheartedly. Now, let's look at the polls. She's carrying uh, a, a younger woman, older woman. It's when we say it's going to be the largest gender gap. We're really saying that she has the largest woman votes across race, class, 
gender lines. Right, and, and Kathy, um, bringing you back into this discussion here, um, we know that one of the controversies, uh, certainly in uh, some support for Hillary, fairly or unfairly, have been Bill Clinton's um, support for the, the um, crime bill, which greatly increased mass incarceration, particularly in communities of color, but also his welfare reform that has devastated um, uh, impoverished communities, negatively impacting, disproportionately impacting communities of color. Um, you have single mothers, the largest growing population, going to prison right now. In areas like Los Angeles County, single mothers and their children are the fastest growing among the homeless, vulnerable to all kinds of violence from serial murders, etc. And a lot of people are saying that part of what happens is that shredding of the safety net means for the most impoverished mothers there is, is, is practically nothing left except destitution. Now, she was not the president, you know, at the time, and she has a start with the Children's Defense Fund, but we also know that Peter Edelman resigned from the Clinton administration in protest of that welfare reform bill. So t tell us about that in, in relation to, to Hillary and the most impoverished mothers. Well, I think that you've seen a, a, a real progress on, on Hillary's part and evolution here in terms of, uh, and, and I think, you know, she started from the very beginning of this campaign addressing criminal justice reform, for example, and she has been um, advocating uh, for uh, free education for community colleges and free child care, which is a major way that uh, uh, poor women can return to school uh, 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 for education. Uh, I, I think you've just really seen a, a whole different focus in, in this uh, race uh, that she has taken. Very progressive. I think a deep understanding of how both race and gender and class play into the problems. You certainly don't see that on, uh, uh, from Mr. Trump. No understanding of, of the complexity of, of these issues. And I think she's really committed um, to raising up uh, especially the women who have the primary responsibility for children or for older parents uh, out of poverty. And uh, I, I think you're going to see a real focus on that. And, and you can see it in the endorsements that she's receiving and the involvement of African-Americans and Latinas in her campaign, African-American women. So I, I think it's a very positive sign, very positive. Oh, sure everybody understands. This is not 1992. This is not 1996. This is 2016. What she has been running on is a progressive feminist platform, and it only got better when you know she merged it with with Bernie's. So I really feel, and also remember, the largest Democratic caucus in the uh, in the, in the House is the Progressive Caucus, and 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 I know Senator Kane. I know him well. I campaigned with him, and he is a civil rights advocate. He is a, and they got to paint it as middle of the road. On our issues, on social justice issues, he is absolutely a strong social justice advocate, and he is going to help carry uh, this, this whole platform. We're going to carry Virginia. I, I really feel that it's unjust to think of it as 1990. It is 2016. We've done a lot of work, and there's all kinds of allies who are pushing for a modern agenda which gets rid of mass incarceration, which um, ends 
private prison ownership, you know, which is a horrible thing, right? That ends um, a school the prison pipeline once and for all. That's why the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, is behind them. The opposition wants to keep those kinds of things. We're going to end them. Well, finally, uh, finally, finally, there. I was in Detroit recently. <laughs> it's really tough. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Finally, finally, I was in Detroit recently for the 50th anniversary of the founding of the welfare, National Welfare Rights Organization. Annie Smart I'll be interviewing next out of Baltimore, a mother on welfare. Um, they and several others are putting forward a demand for a living wage for mothers Absolutely. and other caregivers. What do you think? Absolutely. We <laughs> want, you know, we've been behind that movement from the beginning. We very much favor it. I mean, come on, this is a, we, we can't have a build-in poverty system that, is, that leaves women and poor women at the bottom. All righty, we uh, faded this down. We're going to go to the stage right now. Chelsea is introducing her mother, Hillary Clinton. Let's go to the floor. happening now is that Hillary Clinton has entered the stage. They're serenading her with this song and she's being welcomed uh, by the audience. Very warm welcome there. That's a warm welcome, yes, for those in the audience who are still awake. Certainly out here, <laughs> certainly out here, that was a wake up. Oh, oh uh, what's going on? Uh, because so many people have abandoned. It's the last night. It's the, it's the finale of this convention which has been very exciting. And so um, it's something to look forward to. Uh, and uh, But other folks are saying, well, this is it. Nothing happens after this. We are packing up and getting ready to go. But we're waiting and anticipating on Pacifica Radio and our live coverage of the Democratic National Convention for the standard bearer. And the ovation is getting louder as she prepares to give her address. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, I'm looking at a headline from Politico that says, Hillary donors to Bernie supporters, shut up. Rich Clinton backers who were targeted during the Democratic primary are tired of their antagonistic antics. And we know that outside, in fact, there is still yet another protest going on, but uh, none of that is being felt inside the hall. Let's go to Hillary and to the floor.
Thank you all very, very much. Thank you for that amazing welcome. Thank you all for the great convention that we've had. And Chelsea, thank you. I am so proud to be your mother and so proud of the woman you've become. Thank you for bringing Mark into our family and Charlotte and Aiden into the world. And Bill, that conversation we started in the law library 45 years ago It is still going strong. You know, that conversation has lasted through good times that filled us with joy and hard times that tested us. And I've even gotten a few words in along the way. On Tuesday night, I was so happy to see that my explainer-in-chief is still on the job. I'm also grateful to the rest of my family and to the friends of a lifetime. For all of you whose hard work brought us here tonight, and to those of you who joined this campaign this week, thank you. What a remarkable week it's been. We heard the man from hope, Bill Clinton, and the man of hope, Barack Obama. America is stronger because of President Obama's leadership, and I'm better because of his friendship. We heard from our terrific Vice President, the one and only Joe Biden. He spoke from his big heart about our party's commitment to working people, as only he can do. And First Lady Michelle Obama reminded us <clears throat> that our children are watching. And the president we elect is going to be their president, too. And for those of you out there who are just getting to know Tim Kaine. You, you will soon understand why the people of Virginia keep promoting him from city council and mayor to governor and now senator. And he will make our whole country proud as our vice president. And I want to thank Bernie Sanders. 
campaign inspired millions of Americans, particularly the young people who threw their hearts and souls into our primary. You've put economic and social justice issues front and center where they belong. And to all of your supporters here and around the country, I want you to know, I've heard you. Your cause is our cause. <clears throat> our country needs your ideas, energy, and passion. That is the only way we can turn our progressive platform into real change for America. We wrote it together, now let's go out and make it happen together. My friends, we've come to Philadelphia the birthplace of our nation, because what happened in this city 240 years ago still has something to teach us today. We all know the story, but we usually focus on how it turned out, and not enough on how close that story came to never being written at all. When representatives from 13 unruly colonies met just down the road from here. Some wanted to stick with the king, and some wanted to stick it to the king. <laughs> the revolution hung in the balance. Then somehow they began listening to each other, compromising, finding common purpose, and by the time they left Philadelphia, they had begun to see themselves as one nation. That's what made it possible to stand up to a king. That took courage. They had courage. Our founders embraced the enduring truth that we are stronger together. Now, now America is once again at a moment of reckoning. Powerful forces are threatening to pull us apart. Bonds of trust and respect are fraying. And just as with our founders, there are no guarantees. It truly is up to us. We have to decide whether we will all work together so we can all rise together. Our country's motto is e pluribus unum. Out of many, we are one. 
Will we stay true to that motto? Well, we heard Donald Trump's answer last week at his convention. He wants to divide us from the rest of the world and from each other. He's betting that the perils of today's world will blind us to its unlimited promise. He's taken the Republican Party a long way from morning in America to midnight in America. He wants us to fear the future and fear each other. Well, you know, a great Democratic president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, came up with the perfect rebuke to Trump more than 80 years ago during a much more perilous time. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Now, we are clear-eyed about what our country is up against, but we are not afraid. We will rise to the challenge, just as we always have. We will not build a wall. Instead, we will build an economy where everyone who wants a good job can get one. And we'll build a path to citizenship for millions of immigrants who are already contributing to our economy. We, we will not ban a religion. We will work with all Americans and our allies to fight and defeat terrorism. Yet we know there is a lot to do. Too many people haven't had a pay raise since the crash. There's too much inequality, too little social mobility, too much paralysis in Washington, too many threats at home and abroad. But just look for a minute at the strengths we bring as Americans to meet these challenges. We have the most dynamic and diverse people in the world. We have the most tolerant and generous young people we've ever had. We have the most powerful military, the most innovative entrepreneurs, the most enduring values freedom and equality, justice and opportunity. We should be so proud that those words are associated with us. I have to tell you, as your Secretary of State, I went to 112 countries when people hear those words, they hear America. So, don't let anyone tell you that our country is weak. We're not. Don't let anyone tell you we don't have what it takes. We do. And most of all, 
don't believe anyone who says, I alone can fix it. <clears throat> yes, those were actually Donald Trump's words in Cleveland. And they should set off alarm bells for all of us. Really? I alone can fix it? Isn't he forgetting? Troops on the front lines, police officers and firefighters who run toward danger, doctors and nurses who care for us, teachers who change lives, entrepreneurs who see possibilities in every problem, mothers who lost children to violence, and are building a movement to keep other kids safe. He's forgetting every last one of us. Americans don't say, I alone can fix it. We say, we'll fix it together. <clears throat> and remember, remember, our founders fought a revolution and wrote a constitution so America would never be a nation where one person had all the power. 240 years later, we still put our faith in each other. Look at what happened in Dallas after the assassinations of five brave police officers. Police Chief David Brown asked the community to support his force, maybe even join them. And you know how the community responded? Nearly 500 people applied in just 12 days. That's how Americans answer when the call for help goes out. 20 years ago, I wrote a book called It Takes a Village. And a lot of people looked at the title and asked, what the heck do you mean by that? This is what I mean. None of us can raise a family, build a business, heal a community, or lift a country totally alone. America needs every one of us to lend our energy, our talents, our ambition to making our nation better and stronger. I believe that with all my heart. That's why Stronger Together is not just a lesson from our history. It's not just a slogan for our campaign. It's a guiding principle for the country we've always been and the future we're going to build. A country where the economy works for everyone, not just those at the top. Where you can get a good job and send your kids to a good school, no matter what zip code you live in. A country where all our children can dream and those dreams are within reach, where families are strong, communities are safe, and yes, 
where love trumps hate. country we're fighting for, that's the future we're working toward. And so, my friends, it is with humility, determination, and boundless confidence in America's promise that I accept your nomination for President of the United States. Sometimes, sometimes the people at this podium are new to the national stage. As you know, I'm not one of those people. I've been your first lady, served eight years as a senator from the great state of New York. Then I represented and I represented all of you as Secretary of State. But my job titles only tell you what I've done. They don't tell you why. The truth is, through all these years of public service, the service part has always come easier to me than the public part. I get it that some people just don't know what to make of me. So, let me tell you, the family I'm from, well, no one had their name on big buildings. My family were builders of a different kind. Builders in the way most American families are. They used whatever tools they had, whatever God gave them, and whatever life in America provided, and built better lives and better futures for their kids. My grandfather worked in the same Scranton lace mill for 50 years. Because he believed that if he gave everything he had, his children would have a better life than he did. And he was right. My dad, Hugh, made it to college. He played football at Penn State and enlisted in the Navy after Pearl Harbor. When the war was over, he started his own small business, printing fabric for draperies. I remember watching him stand for hours over silk screens. He wanted to give my brothers and me opportunities he never had, and he did. 
My mother, Dorothy, was abandoned by her parents as a young girl. She ended up on her own at 14, working as a housemaid. She was saved by the kindness of others. Her first grade teacher saw she had nothing to eat at lunch and brought extra food to share the entire year. The lesson she passed on to me years later stuck with me. No one gets through life alone. We have to look out for each other and lift each other up. And she made sure I learned the words from our Methodist faith. Do all the good you can for all the people you can in all the ways you can as long as ever you can. So I went to work for the Children's Defense Fund, going door to door in New Bedford, Massachusetts. <clears throat> On behalf of children with disabilities who were denied the chance to go to school. I remember meeting a young girl in a wheelchair on the small back porch of her house. She told me how badly she wanted to go to school. It just didn't seem possible in those days. And I couldn't stop thinking of my mother and what she'd gone through as a child. It became clear to me that simply caring is not enough. To drive real progress, you have to change both hearts and laws. You need both understanding and action. So we gathered facts, we built a coalition, and our work helped convince Congress to ensure access to education for all students with disabilities. It's a big idea, isn't it? Every kid with a disability has the right to go to school. But how? How do you make an idea like that real? You do it step by step, year by year, sometimes even door by door. My heart just swelled when I saw Anastasia Somoza representing millions of young people on this stage. because we changed our law to make sure she got an education. So it's true. I sweat the details of policy, whether we're talking about the exact level of lead in the drinking water in Flint, Michigan, the number of mental health facilities in Iowa, or the cost of your prescription drugs. Because it's not just a detail if it's your kid if it's your family, it's a big deal. And it should be a big deal to your president, too. <clears throat> after, after the four days of this convention, you've seen some of the people who've inspired me people who let me into their lives and became a part of mine. People like Ryan Moore and Lauren Manning. They told their stories Tuesday night. I first met Ryan as a seven-year-old. 
He was wearing a full body brace that must have weighed 40 pounds because I leaned over to lift him up. Children like Ryan kept me going when our plan for universal health care failed and kept me working with leaders of both parties to help create the children's health insurance program that covers 8 million kids in our country. Lauren Manning, who stood here with such grace and power, was gravely injured on 9-11. It was the thought of her and Debbie St. John, who you saw in the movie, and John Dolan and Joe Sweeney and all the victims and survivors that kept me working as hard as I could in the Senate on behalf of 9-11 families and our first responders who got sick from their time at Ground Zero. I was thinking of Lauren, Debbie, and all the others 10 years later in the White House Situation Room when President Obama made the courageous decision that finally brought Osama bin Laden to justice. And in this campaign, I've met many more people who motivate me to keep fighting for change. And with your help, I will carry all of your voices and stories with me to the White House. <clears throat> and you heard, you heard some from Republicans and independents who are supporting our campaign. Well, I will be a president for Democrats, Republicans, independents, for the struggling, the striving, the successful, for all those who vote for me and for those who don't, for all Americans together. Tonight, tonight, we've reached a milestone in our nation's march toward a more perfect union. The first time that a major party has nominated a woman for president. Standing here, standing here as my mother's daughter and my daughter's mother, I'm so happy this day has come. I'm happy for grandmothers and little girls and everyone in between. I'm happy for boys and men because when any barrier falls in America, it clears the way for everyone. After all, when there are no ceilings, the sky's the limit. So let's keep going. Let's keep going until every one of the 161 million women and girls across America has the opportunity she deserves to have.
But even more important than the history we make tonight is the history we will write together in the years ahead. Let's begin with what we're going to do to help working people in our country get ahead and stay ahead. Now, I don't think President Obama and Vice President Biden get the credit they deserve for saving us from the worst economic crisis of our lifetimes. <clears throat> our economy is so much stronger than when they took office. Nearly 15 million new private sector jobs, 20 million more Americans with health insurance, and an auto industry that just had its best year ever. Now, this that's is real progress, but none of us can be satisfied with the status quo, not by a long shot. We're still facing deep-seated problems that developed long before the recession and have stayed with us through the recovery. I've gone around the country talking to working families, and I've heard from many who feel like the economy sure isn't working for them. Some of you are frustrated, even furious. And you know what? You're right. It's not yet working the way it should. Americans are willing to work and work hard. But right now, an awful lot of people feel there is less and less respect for the work they do and less respect for them, period. Democrats, we are the party of working people. 